Welcome to Grace Abounds. I'm Pastor Jen Shaw, and in this podcast, I'm sharing my Sunday sermons from St. John's Lutheran Church, Palm Desert, California. I'm so grateful that you've joined us, and I trust that these words build you up in faith, hope, and love. According to church tradition and solid historical and archaeological evidence, these rocks are the remains of the house of St. Peter the Apostle in the city of Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee in the Holy Land. It was in this house that Peter lived when Jesus called him and his brother Andrew and their fellow fishermen to follow him and fish for people. In this house, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus taught Peter and the other disciples in this house. These rocks that built Peter's house are still standing 2,000 years later. And so is the church, built on the rock of Peter and the other disciples in the household of God, whose cornerstone firm foundation, solid rock, is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, our Savior and Lord. As Peter declares in our gospel reading from Matthew 16. By this point in the gospel narrative, Peter and the other disciples have been with Jesus for a while now, learning from him how to be like him how to do what he did, how to teach as he taught, following him from place to place as he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, proclaiming the good news and doing the good work of God. They were with Jesus as he taught about life in the kingdom of God, in the Sermon on the Mount. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Love your neighbors and your enemies. Don't worry about tomorrow because God cares for the lilies and the sparrows and God cares for you. And at the end of this sermon, Jesus tells his listeners that those who hear his words and act on them are like a wise man who built his house upon the rock, which did not fall when the winds and the rains came. The disciples were with Jesus when he healed a man who had leprosy and a woman who touched the hem of his garment, when he fed thousands on a hillside with five loaves of bread and two fish, when he calmed a storm at sea. These disciples have experienced the powerful healing compassion of Jesus. And then, in the midst of his public ministry, Jesus takes his disciples about 40 miles north to the city of Caesarea Philippi in what is now the Golan Heights. Caesarea Philippi was named by Philip, the governor of the region at the time, after himself and Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire. It was a center of Roman culture and commerce, a place where the refrain, Caesar is Lord, would often have been heard a place where power and money, false gods, and brutal emperors were worshipped. And in clear contrast, it is in this city 
that Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man is a title Jesus uses throughout the Gospels when referring to himself. And the disciples respond, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus does stand in the long line of faithful prophets who spoke the words, the teachings, the promises of the Lord. Isaiah, for example, who spoke words of comfort to the people of God as they were still recovering from a series of devastating defeats at the hands of rival nations. In Isaiah 51, Isaiah reminds them who the Lord God is and who they are as the people of God. Isaiah encourages them to look back to the rock and the quarry from which they were formed, a metaphor for Abraham and Sarah, the ancestors of the people of Israel, forebearers in faith who trusted in the Lord and followed where he led, the couple whom God blessed with a family to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Isaiah encourages the people to listen to the assurance of the Lord that the Lord will bring restoration. His deliverance will come. His light will shine on all peoples. His salvation will have no end. Isaiah reminds the people that God has been with them for millennia and is with them right now and will be with them always. A reality embodied in Jesus Christ, the God of all creation in the flesh, who is a prophet, and so much more. And so Jesus presses his disciples. He asks them again, this time making it personal. But who do you say that I am? If a friend asked you that question this afternoon, who would you say that Jesus is? Peter responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In a moment of divine inspiration, Peter declares that Jesus is Lord, the savior of the world, the one who gives us life now and forever. Peter declares who Jesus is, and then Jesus declares who Peter is. Jesus gives Simon Peter, that new name of Peter, from the Greek word for rock, Petrus. Jesus renames Peter as the Lord renames people, that he gives a new identity for mission, commissioning them to tell people who the Lord is and love people as the Lord does and build up the Lord's beloved community. Abram and Sarai became Abraham and Sarah. Their grandson Jacob became Israel. The Pharisee Saul became the apostle Paul. Now there is some debate as to whether the rock upon which Christ will build his church is Peter himself or Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Christ. Our Roman Catholic friends generally believe that the rock is Peter himself, 
that Peter's ministry and office form the foundation of the church. Peter is the first bishop, the first in a long line of apostolic succession that leads right up to Pope Francis today. And in this view, Jesus giving Peter the keys to the kingdom and the power to bind and loose are essentially the church's authority to declare who's in and who's out of the Christian community. Protestants, like we Lutherans, generally take a different view. Christ is the rock upon whom he builds his church, and Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, declares this reality. In this view, Jesus giving Peter the keys to the kingdom and the power to bind and loose is Jesus commissioning Peter to declare the good news that Jesus Christ has set us free, loosed us from sin and death, bound us together in his wondrous love, opened the doors to the kingdom of God to all people. As Peter does in his powerful Pentecost sermon, in his testimony at the Council of Jerusalem, in his leadership of the early church. Despite all his faults and failures, Peter does what Jesus called him to do, feed my sheep. It might also be that Peter represents those first disciples and all disciples who place their faith in Jesus Christ and lead others to faith in Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone and Peter is the first of billions of building blocks who form the church living stones in a living structure that spans for thousands of years across generations all over the globe, building each other up in faith and hope and love. The church is not a literal building, not an institution, not an organized religion. The church is us the community of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus who come together to hear the good news and care for each other and go out to tell the good news and care for others. The community called to know Christ and make Christ known together. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. It's why the study of the church is called ecclesiology. It's from the Greek root ek, out, and klesia, called. The church, we, are the community called to live differently than the destructive patterns of the world around us in ways that are good and healing and life-giving. As the Apostle Paul reminds the church in Romans 12. In Romans 12, Paul shifts the focus of his letter. In Romans 1 through 11, Paul proclaims the truly good news that we are all sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that we and the whole creation will in the fullness of time be redeemed, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in Romans 12 and following, Paul encourages us 
to live out our faith in relationship with God and each other. What it means in our everyday life that we are saved. Our fitting response to the grace of God. Therefore, Paul writes, by God's mercy, offer your whole being in dedicated service to the Lord, a living sacrifice. Those two words together would have sounded odd to Paul's first listeners, who, when they thought of sacrifice, would have thought of the killing of animals that took place at a particular place, like the temple, for example, and at a particular time during worship. Paul is inviting the church to transcend this understanding. Authentic worship of God is not limited to one hour on Sunday morning, as vital and beautiful as our worship together is. Authentic worship of God also takes place every single day of the week, Monday through Sunday. Whatever your circumstances, whatever your profession, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God and for the good of this world God so loves. And this includes, as Paul continues, living and speaking and acting and thinking differently than the society around us. Do not be conformed to this world, to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and gracious will of God. I am grieved by the ways in which the church in our context has acquiesced to the divisive, fear-based, thoughtless, partisan politics of our society. We are called to be different than that. We need to honestly ask ourselves, if we spend more of our time and energy and reflection and conversation on any given political leader than we do on Jesus Christ, we need to remember that our hope, our identity, our security are not in any political leader or political party or political ideology. They never have been. They never will be. Our hope, our identity, our security is in Jesus Christ, the Lord, our rock and our redeemer, the savior of the world. We need to think with sober judgment as Paul encourages us to do, reason based in faith, guided by the Holy Spirit. Not listening to those voices that would make us think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Richard Rohr puts it this way, life is not about you, you are about life but also not listening to those voices that would make us think less of ourselves than we ought to. Rather, listening to the voice of the Lord, the voice of truth, the voice of love, 
the voice who reminds you that you are a beloved child of God. You are not alone in this. You have dignity and value and worth. You have gifts to share. We all do. As Paul writes, and all our gifts are different, and all our gifts are significant, and all our gifts are needed for the building up of the body, the community, the church of Jesus. Now, there are ways in which the rock metaphor falls short as we experienced here in the Coachella Valley with the storm last week, that rocks and things made with rock can be worn down and moved and washed away when the winds and the rains come. Monday morning, after the storm had passed, I walked out to the Bear Creek Canyon Trail, a few blocks from my house in La Quinta, thinking that it would be a rare opportunity to see running water at the base of the levee, which I did. What I didn't expect to see was those massive chunks of concrete and asphalt that had been displaced by the storm. Now, there may come a time when the rocks on the Bear Creek Canyon Trail are worn down by the elements. There may come a time when those rocks that built the house of St. Peter no longer stand. But the church will. The people of God, Abraham and Sarah, Isaiah and Israel, Peter and Paul, you and me, will endure, will survive, will live. Because the Lord will fulfill his purpose for us and his steadfast love never ends because the salvation of the Lord is forever because Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, our Savior and Lord is the solid rock on whom we stand. Amen. Thanks for listening. Each week's episode is edited by Nick Cox. Music performed by our St. John's Worship Band. Sermons by me, Pastor Jen Shaw. Make sure to subscribe to hear each week's message. If you'd like to know more about St. John's mission to know Christ and make Christ known, to share the life-giving word and do the life-giving work of Jesus, visit our website, stjohnslutheran.church. May God bless you on this day and in all the days ahead.